Xavier, I'd be rich if I had a dollar every time I heard someone say, man, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know today about money. They need to be teaching about this stuff in school. Like the power of investing early. Compound interest. That alone would impact lives. Understanding and planning for taxes. Understanding the difference between both good debt and bad debt. Eric, what about all the stuff about money that business owners need to know? What kind of insurance should you be buying? The importance of contributing towards your retirement. They don't teach any of this stuff in school. Y'all sit back, get ready, because we are talking stuff about money they didn't teach you in school that you need to know. Welcome back to the Stuff About Money podcast. I am your co-host, Eric Garcia. I'm actually flying solo today. Xavier is out, unfortunately, and, and he really wanted to be a part of this conversation because we have a pretty uh, pretty stellar guest on, Dr. Roy Salgado. Roy, this is the second podcast in a row where we our guest is a university professor. Now, you don't teach money. Our last guest taught business. You are a professor of counseling at the University of Holy Cross. So welcome to the show, man. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, you're actually a, a friend of the show. This is your first time on this Stuff About Money podcast show. But we did early, I don't know if you remember this, early in the COVID years, we did a, a YouTube, a Zoom video together, How to Thrive as a Family During the COVID Crisis. And um, I was going back and, and watching that, and I think it's relevant to some of the themes that we're going to be talking about here today. And then you also, um, prior yeah, to that... Yeah, it was that, great. It was great to be a part of it and to offer some insight. And great to be back to do it yet again and see what, what things yeah. look like today as opposed to two years ago. Yeah. And, and prior to that episode, we did one together um, called How to Deny Your Kid to Better Their Financial Future. You remember that one? We talked about your son and PJ Masks. Yes. Yeah. So that was a while yes. ago. Yes. <laughs> you, you've added an extra. And now, now I have a little daughter. So fast forward yeah. all these years later, I have a little daughter. She's one. And I'm noticing what she's noticing about money too. Ooh. Well, and she just turned one. And I'm noticing that she's learned a thing or two about money. Okay, let's 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 stay there. What what is she, what is the one what is a one year what possibly could a one year old know about money? Well, she sees what we do. She sees what we use to go and acquire things. So when I take out my credit card or my debit card to make a purchase mm. and stick it in the little machine to press the buttons, she has picked up on that. She's only one year and one month old. And prior to that, even at 10 months, she knew to take that card and put it in there and grab whatever she wanted to grab, like grab <laughs> the milk or whatever it is. She she made that connection that this thing allows you to acquire this thing. That trade, that trade. So so let me let me back up. And I don't think I said this when I introduced you. You are a family therapist, but you focus in uh, working with, with adolescents or children, correct? Yes. Okay, yes, so you, I work so primarily you know with children and adolescents. And so in... Right. And so conversely, I work with the entire family, the focus okay. being on children and adolescents. Okay. Very cool. All right. So uh, before we hop into our topic, let me ask you the question that we ask everybody. What's one thing about money that you know today that you wish you would have known maybe 20 years ago? Interest. <laughs> interest, interest is a very interesting thing. Um, I, I guess okay. I had never thought about interest, whether it's you know two point five percent or six percent, 
or 4.1% or 9.1% or 19.9%, it never crossed my mind the impact that interest and compounded interest has on one's finance. No clue 20 years ago. Okay, so when you say interest, are you talking about the interest that you pay when you borrow money? Yes. Or are you talking about the interest? Okay. So let, 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 yes. let's sit on that for a little while. So so what what's what's the lesson there? Like what's the impact? How, like how did that hit you? Like, oh man, interest. Like well, it sounds like you you're think you go buy a car for twenty five thousand dollars and it winds up costing you forty thousand dollars or a house you think you're buying a house for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars and it's costing you six hundred thousand dollars it's a it's an interesting thing to come to realize that it's not dollar for dollar you know and what the impact of that is month to month year to year yeah so the interest is the cost of borrowing money that's what that's what interest is, and we see that right now with with you know anyone's following the economy. With the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates; they're making it more expensive to borrow money. Uh, the cost of money is increasing, um, and that you said something interesting about compound interest. So, believe it or not, a lot of our guests who we ask that question to, and a lot of these people, uh, we we have guests who are. Uh, Professors of finance, investment analysts, like like just these guys who you know CPAs, and they and most of them have said the same thing, similar to what you said, but the inverse of compound interest of investing, um, but interest on debt just kind of works opposite. It just works negative towards you. Right. It's it's the 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 opposite right. example. So compound interest negatively is if I owe ten thousand on my credit card. And let's say I'm just paying the the minimum amount, and the interest rate is twenty percent. I, you know, if you're paying the minimum amount, you you probably are paying interest. But if you don't pay enough to cover your interest, then you're paying interest on the interest that was charged to your initial purchase, and then interest on that interest, right. on that interest, and it just compounds and it's exponential. In the investment space, it's the opposite. If I invest ten thousand dollars and I earn ten percent, at the end of the year, I I make a thousand, and then at the next year, if I earn another ten percent, I'm earning ten percent on my eleven thousand, and so on and so forth. So that's interesting. Interest. Right. So be cognizant of the interest rate on stuff you pay. Very. Cool. When you think of of that over the course of a lifetime, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that one pays in interest with regard to your home, with regard to your cars, with regard to any loan that you might take out, it's not just a few hundred bucks. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of a lifetime. What could one do with that? <laughs> so I had a client, this was years and years and years ago, early in my career. And um, she had a bunch of debt and we're going through it. And, and it was a bunch of credit cards, like uh, um, store credit cards, right? And she had this one Best Buy card and owed like, the balance was like 2000 It wasn't a huge balance, but it was like $2,000. I said, you know, what, why do you have this card? She goes, well, I took it out because they had a really good introductory rate or it was like same as cash for a year or two. And I bought a TV and some camera equipment and the car was like five years old at this point. And I said, well, how much did all that cost you? She's like, it was like, I don't know, 1500 bucks or something. I said, do you realize by the time you pay this card off, that TV and that camera is going to cost you $4,000, whatever the number was. And it was significantly more than it, it was double, double what she paid for it originally and her eyes got big and she was like, no way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was in college um, at the university, they would have these credit card tables lined up 
and you would get credit cards. Like, oh, sign up. I'm 18 years old and I'm signing up for these credit cards and I have them. And then, and I, I got used to using credit cards and I liked it. It was fun. Now, my income was very limited as an 18-year-old college student and I had all of these credit cards. And then I went to stores. I would go to, remember, Dillard's and JCPenney and Sears. Sears was a thing back uh, in the mm -hmm. late 80s, early 90s. And I would... And they said, would you like a credit card, a department store credit card? Sure. I, I would love one. And, and, I, and I think back to clothes that I would buy at Dillard's or JCPenney's or Sears even. Who would buy clothes at Sears? But anyway, nevertheless, I must have. I did. And I would have these credit cards. Why do I have these credit cards? Now, I don't at this point. I have learned not to have department store credit cards or mm -hmm. a Target credit card or a Best Buy credit card. I learned not to have those. Um, but it took a while. It took yeah. me well into my early 30s to figure out not to get that type of credit card. I don't even yeah. go to those stores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why credit would cards, I use those cards? They, they trick you into thinking you have more money than you really do. All right. So right. quick do. note, and then I want to hop to this really interesting survey about um, kids and money. Um, Sears, you said, who would buy clothes at Sears? Sears had the best Guayaveras. So you can go to Sears and buy the the man, I love them. Right? Yes. That and you know, and that's what I got. You remember that? <laughs> wow, flashback. I did get them. I did get them there. They yeah. did have awesome way of it. <laughs> they were they were fantastic and they're inexpensive. Um anyway. They were great. So there was a study, CNBC and Acorns did this this study. And um they they were surveying kids or, or parents or surveying people about whose responsibility is it to teach kids about money. So I want to read a couple of just a couple of short sentences here. And then I just want to have a conversation about this and get your thoughts as someone who understands the development of children and, fa and family systems, right? So 83% of US sure. adults said parents are the most responsible for educating their children on the topic. I don't think many people would argue with that, right? So 83%. Correct. Only 15%, this is crazy, only 15% of parents said they spoke with their children more than once a week about household finances. 13% said once a week. Um, and 16% said once a month. 24% talked to their children less often and 31% never do. So on one hand, we have Americans saying, yeah, it's parents' responsibility. And then on the other hand, we see that parents are not actually doing it what do you what are your when you when you hear those numbers i'm curious what's what's your thoughts on that and what comes to mind is that we inadvertently do talk to our kids about money and we don't realize it every day with everything that we do and every decision that we make we may not have direct conversations but we indirectly communicate our ideas about money so if you DoorDash, if you drive through a fast food restaurant, if you just pick up something at the checkout line as a last minute item, we're communicating to our kids something about money, as opposed to if you make a grocery list and you go shopping on a particular day for the items of the week and you use them a certain way and you don't buy things impromptu and act like money is this endless resource. Um, we communicate to our kids. We may not be talking about it directly and having conversations, but we certainly do communicate. Modeling is the number one way that we show our kids what our ideas and values are about any given uh, topic. So, so what you're suggesting is 
um, the behaviors that we may be modeling or communicating or the lessons that we may be communicating may not be the lessons that we really want to communicate. Did I understand the way you said that? Absolutely. You know, so if, you know, if, if my children, okay. you know, if my son who's five now says, you know, daddy, I want, you know, to go to whatever fast food restaurant, right? Because he sees the, the logo, we drive by it. We either can choose to pull in and say, okay, instant gratification. You want this? I don't feel like cooking. So let's just pull in and get it anyway on the way home. That communicates one thing. Or, you know what? No, we have food at home. We're going to go home. We'll be there in 20 minutes. We're going to uh, make dinner and we'll have that. You know, each of these decisions that we make with regard to our daily needs, food in particular, because you know, we eat every day. Ideally, we would eat every day. And so, mm-hmm. uh, this is something we're communicating to our children. So we need to engage in behaviors that communicate some sort of discipline, routine, responsibility, and the connection that it has with money. So I, I think, too, in your story there, driving by McDonald's or whatever, Popeye's. Popeye seems to be the thing in my house. My, my daughter, just she just wants Popeye's all the time. We don't get it all the time. She got mad at me because I said, we're not doing Popeye's for at least we're taking a break from Popeye's for a month. And that rector. her. Um, <laughs> I'll find out if yeah, that was a good thing. parenting poor technique thing. twenty I years pa- from I now. I love you some Popeyes. What can I say? <laughs> she might be. She might be. She might be visiting you in twenty years and say, "My dad made me take a break from Popeyes." But um, <laughs> those opportunities, right? Like uh, those conversations. I think that if if us as parents and all those parents listening, or grandparents, or if you're in, in any position to influence kids, is using those opportunities as um, opportunities to teach about money, right? Like, yeah, you know, we could get, we could get McDonald's and yeah, we, we might have money for McDonald's, but if we get McDonald's, then we might not be able to do something else that you really want to do this weekend or, Hey, okay. So we can get McDonald's today, but then this weekend we can't get that thing that we were going to do that experience, that toy, or we can't go to the jump park or we can't go to the zoo and I think right. those are the opportunities where kids can start to maybe make decisions and understand, maybe. Absolutely. And it's important that we have these explanations, that we do what's referred to as authoritative parenting, that when we drive by and they say, oh, let's have Popeyes because they see the logo, they see the store, the restaurant, that we say, no, we're not going to get Popeyes. We have chicken at home, so we're actually going to grill some chicken and have a healthy meal. We already bought that, so there's no need to buy some more. We'll do that. But what we can do is later on uh, use that money towards something else. You know, we'll go to the jump park, for example, and have that explanation. Don't just say no. It's important mm-hmm. to say no. And this is the reason why and explain it to their developmental level of understanding. Uh, we have to take the time to explain to children why things exist, not just because I said so and because I'm your father or I'm your mother. They need to really understand. They, ha- they need that respect to to know that we are interested enough in their understanding that we ex- take the time to explain it to them. So I, I, let, let's stick on this, like this self-denial kind of thing, right? You're denying your kid a hamburger. It could be, it could be you're denying your kid a hamburger and you cell phone, a, a computer, a, 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 you know, going on spring break with their friends. Um, but let's say you have the money. Let's say money is not an issue, okay? That you can afford a hamburger from McDonald's and the jump park and a new iPhone. How important is it just in the development of, of the child to to say no sometimes, to self-deny, to, to not necessarily get everything that you you want. 
it's crucial to be able to communicate that value that just because someone might have the resources and the means to be able to acquire much of anything that they want doesn't necessarily mean that having the ability to acquire these things are necessarily in one's best interest. Many people, many wealthy people, very affluent people, their children seem to suffer more down the road with things such as addiction. Um, Addiction is a big issue and highly correlated with the children of highly wealthy people because they've never been denied anything in, in certain instances. And so not denying oneself, fill in the blank, you get conditioned. You get conditioned to think, I want this, I'll have it. I want more of this, I'll have more of it. I want more of that. I want more. And then it becomes a habitual problem that can become a form of misuse to abuse, to addiction, to dependence, whatever it may be, whether it's not just drug and alcohol, but sugar, clothes, McDonald's. Shopping, <laughs> fill in the blank. Um, if, if, you, <laughs> if you feed that, if you feed that and you just repeat that habitually, it becomes a problem. So we don't want to create the conditions where we are conditioning children to think that just because they have the ability to acquire something that they are ought to. So this is um, interesting you bring that up in that same study. They found that people who have higher incomes talk less about money with their kids and people with lower incomes talk more about money with kids. Does that stat surprise you? I hadn't heard that stat before, but now that I hear it, it actually makes sense. You know, those who have limited resources, if you only have X amount of dollars to work with, then perhaps just natural law is going to dictate that you have these conversations out in the open about, you know what, we can't get this today because we need this. So, you know, we need to be able to buy food for the week. So we're not going to buy this toy. So that t- that conversation is perhaps going to take place in a lower socioeconomic household as opposed to one where that's not something that needs to be discussed because it's not an issue. So it makes sense when you think about it. But quite frankly, I had never heard that nor thought about it in that way. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that, that's actually interesting. You would think that people with a lot of money would be talking about more money or talk about money more often. But I guess they, they, they kind of maybe go back to what you originally said, that the conversations more are, are on behaviors. It's what I'm seeing. It's it's communicating not with words, but by by those actions. You know, it's interesting to me, and I, and I, hear, this, I hear this regularly from people in different demographics, okay? I don't want my kids to have to experience the hardships that I experienced. Now there's different types of hardships, right? Like, so the idea is I can use money to insulate them from some of these experiences that were hard for me. Now what's interesting is in some of those same conversations, I hear those individuals tell me that those hardships or those obstacles actually help them build character. So I'm curious that it's kind of like that survey, you know, parents, and most people agree, parents are supposed to teach them, but no one's teaching them. Hardship and obstacles teach character, but yet we want to insulate our kids sometimes from from hardship. So how do you find that balance as a parent where like, I've got money to insulate my kid from a particular hardship, but maybe I need to let them experience it? Yeah, you know, it's something that is very real and, and, and a very interesting phenomenon because individuals who grew up... Um, with the struggle, you know, the struggle is real, you know, they grew up with it. And then they reflect back on their experience, they realize, you know what, I've been able to do these things. And we're not for these challenges. We're not for these obstacles, I would not have learned what to do and what not to do. And so 
I didn't know it back then, but they offered me a lot of growth opportunities and a blessing. Um, as opposed to those who things just no fault of their own, just were easier. Okay, fine. But then you don't have certain opportunities to learn and grow from it. You know, I myself right now, I, I think about my experience. I had my struggles. You know, I came from a lower socioeconomic status, single head of household, female family. And so we weren't poor, but we weren't as well off as other people. I look at my children's situation and they have a very different situation. They can get anything that they want. Now, do I want to just buy them anything that they want simply because they want it or offer them anything that they want just because it's possible? No, they have to hear the word no. They have to learn about the value of money, time, energy, effort, and that things just don't come, that you have to work towards things because then you value something more when it's taken effort, when when you've had to work towards it, whatever it is, whether it's a toy or, or a house or whatever. If something is just given to you, there's no value to it. You don't understand. You really don't understand the time, the energy, the effort, the work, the sweat, the tears, everything that goes into the acquisition of whatever it is that it may be. And I'm not just talking about material things, but just anything of value. It takes effort. Exercise. You know, if you want to be in good shape, if you want to be healthy, that takes effort to do. And there's a lot of discipline involved in that. Maybe not necessarily money per se, but there's discipline and effort and restraint. And then you reap the benefits of that. Yeah. Um, in you're talking about kids need to learn, right? Your, your son, your daughter needs to learn about money. And, and I think, I think what's important is, and I don't, I don't always know what the right answer is. Like, what's the exact lesson you need to go teach? But what, what I think is really important is here's the reality. Let me back up and say this. The reality is I, I don't work with kids. I work with big people. <laughs> and generally speaking, adults don't have healthy money habits. There's people who do well, they make good money, but this idea of building wealth and maintaining wealth is lost on a lot of people. A lot of people are successful um, for, for various reasons, but if parents are responsible for teaching the kids about money and the parents are not really good with, with money, I could see that's a daunting task to have to now, I'm supposed to teach my kid about money. But what's interesting is most people know what they should be doing. They just don't do it. It's like health and working out. Yeah, I know I should work out. I know I should be eating fruit and drinking more water and not eating Popeyes, but I don't do it. So we as adults, as big people, we know what the right things are, but we just have a hard time doing it. And here's the problem. You said this from the outset, model behavior, model behavior. There's a study, and I think we've talked about this in the past, from the University of Minnesota, 2011. This is what it said. It said, parents provide three themes of financial management to children, including saving, how money is managed, and how financial matters are discussed. The vast majority of these children in these studies learned about a family's propensity for saving and financial management through direct observation versus through conversations regarding these behaviors. In other words, parental behaviors tend to stick with children more so than discussions of what ought to be done related to money. Absolutely. Ooh. That it's significant. And it, and it happens in absolutely everything. You know, we were over at um, 
some individuals' homes, uh, some some acquaintances' homes for a, uh, a, a what was it? An engagement party. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And it was people that we didn't know. It was, but it was for an engagement party. And the kids were upstairs playing, and they had this, these virtual reality uh, metaverse goggles, whatever. And my children don't have that, uh, but they've seen the commercials. And then I've explained, you know, I said, oh, what is that? And it's like, I don't know quite exactly what that is, but I don't have a good feeling about that. I don't know that I necessarily would use that myself. I would, I would not go into the metaverse. I would not go into some virtual reality thing. There's something about that just on a philosophical level that feels uneasy to me. That was a conversation that I had with my five-year-old. We go to this, this is weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. We go to this engagement party. The kids are all upstairs playing. These are children that he doesn't know. The little boy has them and he has them on and all the other kids are putting them on. And uh, he comes downstairs and I'm like, what are you doing? Why aren't you upstairs with, with the other kids? He's like, they're playing with uh, those goggles that we saw on TV the other day. And I don't know if that's a good thing. So I'm just going to wait for them to you know, do something else and then I'll go play something else. They listen. They pay attention. Everything we do teaches. And so even when we think that they're not absorbing what we say, they are, or what we do, they are. So we have to just keep modeling behaviors mm-hmm. that we want them to acquire. And if we're surprised, you know, it's like that commercial back in the, the 80s, like, you know, where did you learn to smoke cigarettes? Why are you smoking cigarettes? Like, I learned it from you, dad. I don't know if you remember that commercial. Yeah. A father uh-huh. caught a 14-year-old boy smoking cigarettes. Yeah. I learned it from you, dad. And it's true. What yeah. we do teaches more than what we say. That's what, yeah. Don't, don't do as I, uh, what I say, uh, don't do as I do, do as I say. Like, no, 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 no. Exactly. They're going to do as you <laughs> yeah, do. That doesn't work. So, so what's interesting is that I, I think it's, I think it's twofold. I think when our behaviors align with our words, I think it's even more powerful. So I think it's important that as parents, yes. we're looking and and this is start, this starts young all the way up through, you know, I would say into high school, because at some point, at some point, if you didn't, if you didn't teach your kid something early enough, you've, you know, it's, it's going to be really, really, really hard to teach them at 16 when they're doing right. everything you don't want them to do. And that's probably where right. you come in and it's you're probably counseling to, those families. It's a compounded interest, right? You know, it, you know, with each passing year, it makes it that much more difficult to instill a new behavior. If you want to get it to really stick, you have to do it before the age of six. And if you wanted to, Ooh. if, you know, and then okay. there's certain things yeah. you have to be in there by six, the fundamental stuff before six, and then some of the other more complicated things by the age of 12, and then the other things by the age of 18. So you have like three distinct six-year periods of time to introduce things that become fundamental and rooted in the individual and installed and instilled in their memory bank. If you introduce it too late, it becomes that much more difficult more to undo. Yeah, much more difficult. So as, as we're getting close to, to our time here, um, let's talk about some maybe some specific things to teach kids. You know, we're talking kind of vague about we have to teach kids and, and model good behavior. So let me, let me share with you and, and give me your feedback um, of maybe things that we should be teaching our kids early. And oftentimes talk about, okay, teach kids about money. Well, what exactly should we teach kids about money? I think the first thing is just to understand the value of what is money. You shared that your one-year-old already understands that there's something happening. There's an exchange that that things, I have to give something up to get something in return. Obviously, the age of your kid, you can speak more concretely, I would imagine, about what you give up and what you get in return. But just that concept of if I want something, I have to give something up. Right. And, and so, for example, you know, if you have just a concept of numbers, 
Oh, go ahead. The concept no, of no, numbers, you know, so children mm-hmm. are familiar with numbers. So they know one, two, three, four, five. Um, we'll go with some eight, nine-year-old kid who knows how to add, subtract, multiply, divide. Okay, so you have those concepts, those fundamental concepts. And if they want to go buy something, they see a toy. Okay, this toy costs $30. Okay, this costs $30. Um, what does that mean? Do you, do you want to get mm-hmm. this now or do you want to get something else later? Um, $30, what does it take to earn $30? Where does $30 come from in the first place? Um, let's let's talk about this. Uh, what sorts of chores do people have to do? What sorts of jobs? You know, like how much does mommy or daddy make in an hour? You know, mm-hmm. and so you might have a family. Let's say you have a family that they make minimum wage. Minimum wage is what, $7.25, $7.50? Not a lot, yeah. And so... And so if you have someone who makes minimum wage and says, okay, this costs $30, this is four to eight, four hours of work. Mommy or daddy has worked four hours of work. It's an eight-hour workday. That's half a day, half a day to get this one item. And so correlating time with money is very important. So with the kids, like, okay, what can you do for four hours worth of work? What can you do with four hours worth of work? Uh, maybe you can mow the lawn. That might take you two hours to mow the lawn. Another day you might want to do some dishes and some laundry that might take some, and you add up all that time and all that time, all that energy, all that effort, all that work is equivalent to this $30 toy. Mm -hmm. And then the kid might be like, I don't know if that's worth it. I love Uh, that. I love that. I love what you just said about correlating our money with our time and our skills and what we do and that trade off. Like, is it worth it? Do I want to do it? Now that kind of leads into the second thing that I want to talk about. If we're teaching kids about money, I think it's really important that we give them money. It's like me trying to teach you how to swim without a swimming pool or how to ride a bike without a bike. So as parents, we have to say, I'm going to give my, even even your your five-year-old, I'm going to give him five bucks, right? We're going on a trip. We're going and we're, we're, we're stopping at Bucky's. You got $5, right? You can buy anything you want. What are you going to buy? Um, so I think it's important that we somehow get money into our kids' hands. If we make them do chores, that's great. If we want to give them allowance, that's fine. I would suggest, I was against an allowance early in my kids' lives because I'm just going to give them money. They need to earn it. But then what I started realizing was give them allowance and things that I otherwise would have bought for them, let them buy it. Let them, you know, if they want to get Chick-fil-A for lunch today, then then maybe, I'm not saying that I'm going to make them buy their food all the time, but every now and then, let them make that decision. Sure. But they have to have money to spend. Yeah. Um, my son recently lost his five. He recently lost his tooth like three days ago. So the tooth fairy came and gave him $5. And so he's like, oh, did I get $5 because I'm five years old? And I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's the way the tooth fairy operates, probably. And so then uh, he has his $5 and we went to the grocery store and there was like this dispenser with different candies, like gummy worms and mm-hmm. jelly beans and whatever. And so he's like, oh, yeah. can I get this? And I'm like, okay, if you get this, it's three ninety nine a pound, so three ninety nine a pound. And so, so what does that mean? That's four dollars. So four dollars. I have five dollars. I have five dollars. I can get this because yeah. four is less than five. Like, all right, go ahead. Four is less than five. We get to the register, and it came out to four dollars and some change with the tax. And it was like, it said it was four dollars, but it's more than that. Now I only have two quarters left, and he was upset. He's like, I don't want this candy. Now mm. I don't have anything. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, well, maybe that's like, it's like, well, that's the way it works. So, and so just learning and learning the emotionality that goes with it because he, he was feeling all sorts of big feelings about it. It's like, I don't want this. I want my $5.
Yeah. Well, maybe next time you'll think differently about whether you buy something with those $5 or whether you hold on to it. You yeah. don't like the way this feels right now. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so did he, did he end up getting it or no? Did he put it back on the shelf? Oh, he bought it. He already paid for it. And it's, okay, it's but, interesting because yeah, the okay. candy is sitting there and it's like the bane of his existence. Every time he walks by, like, he like thinks about it. how he doesn't have $5 anymore. He refuses to eat his little gummy worms. <laughs> That's funny. So he I think it's also important as, <laughs> as we give kids money and they make <laughs> buying decisions, I think it's really important as parents. Tell me what you think about this one. We're really careful not to shame a purchase. Like, is that really a smart purchase? Are you really happy with like I find myself at times like, okay, you want to buy that? Is that really that are you is that really what you want? And like I would ask it multiple times. I was like, one time it's okay to make them think about it. Then the second time it's like you start to shame them. So I've I've started to ask, like, how do you feel about how do you feel about your purchase? Right? To kind of say, Oh, I'm I'm happy. I'll, that's great. That's a good use of money. So just be careful not yeah, to shame. Yeah, and I go back to, you know, just fundamental natural law and natural consequences. You know, he sees that little bag of gummy worms and he gets upset again. You know, this has been going on for about two or three days now. And he it's, it's going to get it's going to really get him to start thinking more about it. It's like if I want to have money, I want to be able to think about it differently and use it differently. I, I he, he really understands that he misused it or at least he thinks he misused it in that instance because it's not what he thought it was going to be. And he thought that he would – Somehow have more. I don't know what he thought. But yeah. nevertheless, he's five. He's learning. And to associate that all these things are connected, you know, our behavior with our thoughts, with our feelings, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of feelings surrounding money. Anxiety, a big one. Uh, yeah. Concern. Yeah. Um, it, people are really anxious about money. And so to experience this at, at a young age really can set the stage in terms of what types of decisions am I going to make later on in life? Because I don't want to feel this anymore. I want to feel secure. Yeah. I want to feel safe. I want to feel confident and competent in my decisions yep. surrounding money and not insecure, frightened, angry, disappointed. And what's interesting is the behaviors that they observe in most adults is not it is insecurity. It is fear. It is concern. It is anxiety. I don't have money to do this. So no, we can't do that because we don't have money for that, right? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I think it's important to have those thoughtful conversations. Yeah, we can do that, but if we do that, then here's the trade-off. Um, and I, I do think exactly. it's important that we include our kids in some financial decisions where maybe, you know, if you're married, you, you and your spouse may be making decisions about a vacation or where are you going to go out to eat? But if your kids are going to be participating... I think it's important to have them participate in that conversation and give input so they understand the cost of things. They understand that things just don't that things just don't happen. Like, hey, we're going to Disney World. We can stay five days, but if we stay five days, then we have to cook all of our meals in a hotel. But if we go for four days or three days and we can buy all our meals there, what do you what do you think we should do? And kind of incorporate them in that decision process. And I think that's part of observing behaviors. Absolutely. And that's a wonderful way to approach it with, with things like vacations and with, with items like clothes. You know, you can buy a pair of jeans that cost $150. You can buy three pants and three shirts for the same value. You know, you know, what, what, what do you want to do? You know, do you want, you can get this one pair or we can get enough clothes that you can wear for half a week, you know? So having these conversations so that the kids can, you know, see how this operates and that they have a choice in it. Yeah. So last question, then we're going to wrap it up because I know that you have a, a time commitment here. So if your son doesn't spend his $5 on 
a pound of gummies, all right? And he decides to save his money or to do something else. Like, what's that conversation? Like, what do you, what else would you consider telling him to do with his money? Well, I guess it would depend on how things would evolve. What comes to mind right now is if he happens to come across another amount of money. Let's say he gets Mm -hmm. another $5 because of his birthday. And then now he has Mm -hmm. the $5 from the tooth fairy and $5 from the birthday. He didn't spend the initial $5. Now, guess what? Now you have $10. You have $10. As opposed to having only that five because you spent five last week on – gummies or wormies or whatever it is (laughs) gummy worms and so so just having that conversation and adding to it it's like now you have 10 i wonder if you keep doing this how much you can wind up having yeah and i would say on top of that i'm I'm glad you went there set a goal hey that 30 dollar toy remember that 30 dollar toy um let's we're we're, we're still going to get it and we're going to save towards it so now we have 10 so what else can we be doing how else could we be earning money you know Next time it's like, hey, the baseboards need to be cleaned. Cool. I'll give you $3 to clean the baseboards. Oh, yeah. Now, now we're instilling that, that long-term planning in their mind. Exactly. And I'll also say a good conversation and, and with you kids. you start off with these types of items. No, you start off with these types of items, and by the time they're 30 and 40, it's real estate. And they yeah. own farmland or yeah. homes and buildings. And you, know, you start small at five, and then it's bigger things as adults. Yeah. So we've taught kids, we've taught kids how to earn money. We've taught kids how to spend it. We're teaching kids how to save it. We're teaching them how to invest it. And these are conversations, these are just with everyday things. So, uh, you know, parents, if you have a child, look for those opportunities to have conversations with your, with your kids about money. They're, they're abundant. They're, every time you go, any, anytime you make, you go to work, why do you go to work? You go to the grocery store. How are you buying the food? You're buying first day of cl- school clothes. Where's that money coming from? The opportunities are abundant to start having these thoughtful conversations about money. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. And I will add this. Another thing you want to teach your kids early is we talked about saving it, spending it, earning it. Teach them how to give it. Teach them how to share with other people who don't have money. And here's what you'll, you'll like this. There's a study. It's an interesting study. I think it's from um, the Harvard. A couple people have done this study, but this one comes from Harvard uh, Business Institute, and it says that um, uh, money does buy happiness, but it's all about how you spend it. And the happiest people are the people who spend money on others. That makes sense. So that makes sense. That's a good uh, a good value to instill in a kid earlier. You're kind of earlier earlier. Uh, example about buy whatever you want, then you want more, then you want more, then you want more, then you want more, and you can never have more, and you're never happy. This is this is the antithesis yeah. of that. Is don't buy yourself more. Absolutely, because you know, I think of my own experience. I think of my own experience. Sure, I appreciate when someone gives me a gift. I do, but I do receive greater joy when I see that I've given someone something and they can benefit from it. That makes me yeah. feel a lot better. Not just me as an individual. I would imagine it's universal. It feels good to do for others, whatever that may be, whether it's yeah. a gift or or some other type of valued good or service. Yeah. It feels good. And I think it's important. Now, sometimes, particularly for people who are charitable, sometimes they don't like to, to be braggy about that. But I think it's really important that you include your kids in some of that. Let them see some of that because they're going to observe it. And we know study after study tells us, and and Dr. Roy just confirmed it, that that their behaviors are going to, that we're modeling 
behaviors for them. So if you want your kids to learn healthy habits about money, yep, start learning healthy habits about money for yourself and start modeling that behavior for them. Roy, close us out, man. Is there is there is there like any like silver bullet about, you know, I'm I'm sitting here parenting, I've got three kids, and I used to think I was a really good parent. And then, you know, they got out of like a certain age and I realized I don't have as much control over them. Then I started questioning, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not a really good parent. And now I'm like, I guess I'll find out in 20 years if I was a good parent. <laughs> Any silver bullets to parenting? Yeah. Help us cope, man. Wow. Silver <laughs> bullets to parenting. That's a loaded question. I think the one that I think that I can say you is got you, one, know you got that one minute to answer it. Job. That's it. You know, you've done a good job when your kids are adults and they are functioning, self-sufficient, contributing members to society. That's when we know how well of a job we've done. But before yeah. that, with regard to the, the, the thing to do now, the, the one thing, spend time with your kids. Simply spending time with your kids and you engage in appropriate, healthy behaviors, they're going to model that for you. I like that. Spend time with your Actually, kids. You'll then. be modeling that for them and they're going to pick it up. Yeah. Spend time with your kids and those are the opportunities to have conversations about money. Roy, man, thank you for for joining us. I'm going to put in the um, show notes here, the links to the other episodes that you were on so people can learn four ways to deny your kid to better their financial future. And I think the one about coping with COVID is still very relevant today. And in fact, I think one of the things that we talk about is spending time as a family unit. So Roy, man, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Information presented and discussed on the Stuff About Money podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute direct financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial advisor prior to implementing any strategies discussed. Eric Garcia and Xavier Angel's branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated. Member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated.